Uh, the rest of us, we've been uh, working on a little series uh, through the Holy Spirit and uh, revival. And uh, we've been looking sort of at three main elements of revival. That is repentance, prayer, and presence. These are the three sort of main elements that you see in uh, all the big revivals that have happened throughout history. There's a lot of other things, of course. Uh, last week we talked about repentance. Today we're going to talk about the element of prayer and, and revival. Uh, we've used this list of, of the normal Christian life um, that uh, as you read through the New Testament, uh, there are sort of descriptions of what the normal Christian life should be. And, uh, and here's that list. Uh, intimate fellowship with God, joy in God's presence, a sense of peace, a holy life, a spirit-filled life, recognizing God's voice, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, that's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, those kinds of things, and experiencing God's power, that this is, is the description of the normal Christian life. And sometimes, uh, I mean, I look at that list and say, man, I kind of fall short on some of those things, and you might be feeling that maybe I fall short. Sometimes we can get so used to living an abnormal Christian life that we think the abnormal Christian life is normal. Uh, but this is to be the normal Christian life, and this is uh, the good news about this is, if you're not experiencing these things, then these are the things that God wants you to experience. And the good news as well is that this is what revival does. As we've used this little uh, um, picture here, that when we fall short of God's ideal of the normal Christian life, revival brings us back to uh, the normal Christian life. It brings us back to this, this sense of God's presence and His power and hearing His voice and there's revival in our lives and, and our marriages and relationships change and we, we just, things transform. We experience God in, in our lives in powerful ways. It brings us back, in a sense, to New Testament Christianity where you read through the book of Acts and you see that even though they were persecuted and even though they had trouble, there is this power about their lives. There is this joy about their lives. And, and revival brings us back to this place where we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and, and joy and strength and all those things. And, uh, and uh, churches say, well, we're ripe for revival. We need, we need revival. Uh, we really need revival in our lives and in our marriages and relationships and in our communities. And, and so it's important that we learn about revival and revival history so that we can be working towards it. Uh, again, Duncan Campbell said that revival is a community saturated with God. It is when a community decides to put Jesus first in their lives. Uh, that is revival. We spoke um, last week about the, the role of repentance in revival. If you remember this quote, if you want revival, let me remind you that God only plants the seeds of His life in soil, which has been broken up by repentance. And that is sometimes we can have hard hearts towards God. And when our heart is hard, uh, God can't work. But it's when we, we humble ourselves and we open ourselves up to our need for God and when we, we take any of those things that are, are in the way of us and God and we, and we take them out of the way, we till the soil of our heart and we make it soft. And this is when God can step in and begin instilling a church or an individual with revival. And so it's important that, uh, that we're constantly asking God this question. And you can do this in your prayer time. Just say, God, is there anything that is keeping me from a deeper relationship with you? And you just listen to what the Holy Spirit says. 
and you can write it down, and you just pray through it, you listen through it, you ask God what steps you want me to take. But God is so good, and He is so loving, and He is so amazing that, I mean, if you want to know how to live a miserable Christian life, just have stuff between you and God. I mean, you don't want to have any stuff between you and God. He is so good and amazing and wonderful, and He's so transforming that we need to constantly be at this place where we're just repenting and putting that stuff away and inviting more of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And the theme of revival throughout history is just this, uh, people humbling themselves and putting away their pride and, and inviting the Holy Spirit into their lives in greater ways. We spoke briefly won't go into the whole thing, but we spoke briefly about the Welsh Revival in 1904 where this group of uh, 18 people got together, began to pray and to repent. And it sparked a revival, which in nine months, over 100,000 people came to Jesus. And in the coming years, it spread over the world. Over a million people came to Jesus. And the town was completely transformed, as we said. Like, I mean, the police had nothing to do anymore. In fact, they, they, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but they actually put together choirs because they had nothing else to do. And if you wanted a choir to sing at your church, you phoned the police. Uh, that's <laughs> the kind of stuff that was happening in this revival. It's transforming uh, marriages and relationships and, and the experience people had with the Holy Spirit and God. I mean, it changed the country and it spread throughout the world. And these are some of those big revival moments throughout history which are amazing. We're going to talk about prayer today because not only is this idea of us softening our hearts before God important for a revival, personal or a corporate revival, prayer is also incredibly important. Uh, Dr. A.T. Pearson said, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Uh, there's something when people get together and pray that, that, that moves the heavens, uh, that if you want revival in your own life or in a church or a community, it takes prayer. And it is amazing the stories of history of when people actually really begin to earnestly pray how God steps in and can change some things. Uh, I think we briefly, briefly mentioned this one last week, the Layman's Prayer Revival of 1857. I'll tell you more of the story. Uh, Jeremiah uh, Lamphere was a missionary in New York City. And uh, he didn't really know what to do. Uh, so he was asking God, and God said, I want you to start a prayer meeting. And so he went and put posters up throughout the city uh, saying he was going to do a, a lunchtime prayer meeting while people were on their lunch from 12 noon to 1 o'clock. And he puts up the posters. The first lunch hour meeting was to happen. He goes up to this room. 12 o'clock hits. Nobody's there. 12.15, nobody's there. 12.30, no one's there. 12.30, uh, he was getting really discouraged. He hears footsteps, and six people come in. And they begin to pray. And this little prayer meeting, uh, it changed the city. Uh, because it just began to explode. There was a recession at the same time, which God used to further this revival. And within six months, 10,000 men were gathering daily for prayer in New York City. Six months after this little prayer meeting, 10,000 All the churches were full for lunchtime prayer. Buildings and offices were filled 10,000 people were coming out for prayer, and within two years, a million people were added to the American churches, because again, revival spreads, and it spread throughout the USA, and and over a million people were uh, added to the churches, and there were uh, another million, they say, that were revived, who were brought back, if you will, to the normal Christian life. 
And we showed this quick, quick uh, clip last week. I want to show again because this is uh, this revival, the layman's prayer revival. Oh, I guess we got a quote before. Uh, one of the religious journals uh, said this, that the largest cities and towns from Maine to California are sharing in this great and glorious work. There is hardly a village or town to be found where a special divine power does not uh, appear displayed. And the New York Observer, speaking about Texas, said, day and night the churches have been crowded during the meetings. Never before in Texas have we seen a whole community so effectually under a religious influence thoroughly regenerated. And here is the, the clip. The date was September 23rd. A Christian layman named Jeremiah Lamphier held his first ever businessman's prayer meeting in Lower Manhattan. It was not, by all accounts, a rousing success. He'd passed out flyers for weeks. Six men attended. Two weeks later, the stock market crashed. Thousands of families lost all they had. And one of the greatest spiritual awakenings the world has ever seen began. Week by week, Jeremiah Lamphere's tiny lunch hour prayer meeting grew larger and larger. By December, his six men had become 10,000 men, and they met not every week, but every day. The New York newspapers took notice, and when word spread to other cities, spontaneous revival broke out across the country. In Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches and theaters three times each day just to pray. In Chicago, churches had to have waiting lists for people wanting to teach Sunday school. And all across America, pastors were baptizing 20,000 new believers every week. The revival eventually spread around the world. In England, entire towns were converted. Some towns disbanded their police force because of a lack of crime. And so many people came to Christ, churches had to hold services outside just to accommodate the crowds. Uh, Blackaby said this. Sure, we got time for stories. Yeah, nothing to do, and they'd start start singing, and we could phone nine one and have a nice, awesome choir in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Bernie. Uh, uh, Blackaby said this: uh, studying revival throughout history will reveal that they are not all identical, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, next week. There are different different faces to revival, if you will. Revival in Wales, New England, Kentucky, Korea, India, Rwanda, and South Africa had characteristics unique to the people and social environment in which they occurred. However, in every revival, the consistent denominator is fervent, faithful, persistent, righteous prayer. And uh, we see this in the Moravian uh, Mission Revival in 1727. This was a tiny little town. And, and uh, a lot of revival is actually started in kind of out-of-nowhere places, small towns, small churches. 
And so there's hope for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to not be discouraged if your prayer meeting is really small because that's what happened to Jeremiah Lamphier and, just, and just God began to work. Uh, but this was a community of 300 people in the 1700s, and the community was divide, divided by uh, bitterness and uh, backbiting, and just, just, it was not a very place we think revival would happen. But the leader of the community said, we need to start praying. And so he started this little prayer meeting in his, in his village, and they began to pray and pray and pray, and things began to change. Uh, people began to get nicer towards each other. The, the Holy Spirit began to work. And as they were praying, it happened in an August prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit, we talked about this a little bit, the Holy Spirit can just descend on a meeting and change everything. And this is what happened. Here's how the, the report goes. The 13th of August, 1727, was a day of outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We saw the hand of God and His wonders, and we were all under the cloud of our fathers, uh, bap- uh, baptized with their spirit. I'm talking about the, the early church fathers, the, the apostles. The Holy Ghost came upon us, and in those days, great signs and wonders took place in our midst. I mean, God began to do miracles and, and incredible things. From that time, scarcely a day passed, but we had beheld His almighty workings among us. A great hunger after the Word of God took possession of us so that we had three services every day, 5, 7, 30, 9 o'clock. Everyone desired above everything else that the Holy Spirit might have full control. This is that repentance, that anything in the way of God just gets out of the way. Self-love and self-will as well as all disobedience disappeared and an overwhelming flood of grace swept all of us out into the great ocean of divine love. The, The leader of this group said the whole place represented truly a visible habitation of God among men. It transformed this little community. And six months after they started praying, uh, 20, they sent out 26 missionaries that left their village to go to worldwide missions. In six months, they sent out more missionaries than the whole Protestant church did in 100 years. I mean, uh, they are the ones who began the modern missionary movement. 26 missionaries. And back then, you couldn't come home. You left your family for good. Within uh, another 25 years, they had another 100 missionaries, and after 65 years, uh, they had 300 missionaries leave this little village, and and it transformed the world. Many people think that this uh, prayer meeting was a prayer meeting that actually uh, went on to birth the the great awakening that would follow. And why I say after 65 years, because these people, after this August outpouring of the Holy Spirit, said, Prayer is so important, we're going to pray every single day. They started their prayer meeting. They prayed 23, a village of 300 people started this. They prayed every day, 24 hours a day. And you know how long the prayer meeting lasted? Prayer meeting lasted 100 years. 100 years of praying, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And again, it transformed not only the community, it transformed the world and world missions and, and uh, led perhaps to the awakening that came after. This is the Moverian Mission Revival. Now, one of the questions is like, is why doesn't God just pour out revival all the time? I mean, so the police have nothing to do, and, you know, the churches are packed. Is why doesn't God do this all the time? And part of that question, of course, is a mystery. We don't fully know. But what we do know is that God is a partnering God, and God partners with us. And if we don't do our part, we don't see revival. Again, there's never been a major revival in history that hasn't begun with with people praying. And so it's important that we do our part in prayer. And and God is a God who partners in prayer. And sometimes we make the mistake of this. Well, if God wants revival, he'll send revival. 
No. Uh, sometimes I make this mistake. Well, if God wants it to be done, I guess it's going to be done. Like, if, if it's God's will, it's always going to be done. No. Just because something is God's will does not mean it's always going to happen. A lot of times it actually takes our prayer to make it happen, and I'll explain this in a moment. Uh, I mean, the Bible says, in, for instance, James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. So there are things, maybe it's revival in your own life or in this church, or maybe it's other things that we don't have because we don't ask God. Now, if I ask God for something and get it, obviously, God's not going to give me something that's not His will. He's only going to give me something in His will, but for His will to be accomplished in my life, I need to pray. Uh, we see, uh, for instance, how prayer changes things. And I uh, often use this phrase that prayer changes the story. When we pray, this is not a waste of time. When you pray in your home or wherever you are, it is never a waste. Whatever you pray, you may not see a physical answer, but something shifts whenever you pray. Prayer is incredibly powerful, and prayer changes the story. We see one of those cases in 2 Kings 20. In those days, Hezekiah became ill, and it was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die and you will not recover. Not something you want to hear from God. But God says, this is what's going to happen. Uh, Hezekiah, you need to put things together because your life is very short. But then it says this. Uh, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, back to him, go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears, I will heal you. I mean, God earlier just told him, your life is over, and now he's healed. What was the difference? It's prayer. Prayer changes the story, and you can have your own story changed through prayer. Uh, we see in Matthew 6 that Jesus actually told us to pray this way. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if God's will were always done every time, whether we prayed or not, this prayer would make no sense. Jesus is telling us that we need to pray that God's will be done. There is a place that somehow our prayers can bring about the will of God. Now, there are definitely times when God's going to do, it doesn't matter if we pray or not. <laughs> uh, there are certain things that God's, He's got His will, it's going to happen whether we pray or not. But there are a lot of things in life, it seems, that God says, I would love to do this. I'd love to pour out revival. I'd love to do this in your family. I'd love to do this in your marriage. But the difference is prayer. Because we know it's God's will for your marriage to thrive. Not all marriages are thriving. We know it's God's will for churches to thrive. Not all churches are thriving. And often the part of the key ingredient that's missing is, is prayer. That Jesus taught us that, God, I want your will be, to be done because God works through prayer. You see, God is not this God who just sits up and does everything himself. He is thoroughly and deeply a relational God. And he works through people and he works through our prayers. Uh, when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. It was God's will for them to have babies, but you know what? He didn't do it all himself. They had to do something. Uh, when he put them in the garden, he said, take care of the garden. And it was God's will that the garden be taken care of, but God didn't do it himself. He knew it his will. It took work on their behalf to make God's will happen. 
And this is the way it works with revival. God wants revival in our churches. He wants revival in our country. He wants people to, to come back to the normal Christian life, but there is something that we need to do. And there's a lot of mystery in this. I know, it's not just like a one, two, three step and bang, there's revival, because there's lots of times people pray for a long time and it doesn't happen right away. But we know that revival is one of those keys. Here is the uh, recipe for revival, Second Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, uh, would it be God's will uh, to heal those people and to forgive them? Of course. I mean, that's what he wants. He, Jesus is saying he's crying over Jerusalem because people are not coming to him and under his wings. I mean, he wants to heal. He wants to forgive. That's his will. But notice there's a condition. If. If my people pray and repent, then my will is going to be accomplished. And sometimes this is why God's will is not being done in your life and in your marriage and, and wherever it might be. You say, well, God, I thought this was your will. I thought this is what you wanted. I thought you wanted me to have this in my life. And it's just sometimes there are if but statements in the Bible. In fact, there's a lot. If my people will do this, then I will do this. And revival fits into this category. The God who's wanting to pour out revival, wanting to do a work in our churches, in our midst. But are we willing to pray and to humble ourselves before him so that he can pour out his strength and power upon us? We see another case of God's will being stated, but it doesn't happen until people pray. And we see this in the story of Elijah. In the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab. And God says this, I am going to send rain on the, la rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Obviously, it's God's will to send rain on the land. Okay, so what does Elijah do? Well, okay, it's your will. You said it's going to happen, so I don't have to do anything. That's not what he did. In fact, he knows that he's got to pray, and this is what he does. Elijah climbed to the top of, of uh, uh, Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. This is the position of prayer, this, this, this immense prayer, and he's praying for God's will to come about. And he says, go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. He was trying to see if there are the rain clouds coming. He's praying. He knows this is God's will, but he knows he's got to pray. And he's praying. There's nothing there, he said. And Elijah doesn't say, well, pff, I guess I heard wrong, or, you know, I guess God's will's not going to happen. No, he goes back to pray. Uh, seven times, Elijah says, go back as he's praying. And uh, the seventh time the servant reported, as a cloud as small as uh, a man's hand is rising above the sea, Elijah said, go and tell Ab uh, Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and heavy rain started falling. This is God's will, but it doesn't come to, into play until he prays. Now, now let me be clear again. There are a lot of things God's going to do, that whether we pray or not, whether we're faithful or not. But there are certain things throughout the Scripture where God's will is dependent on our faithfulness or on our prayers. And it seems the testimony throughout history is that revival goes back to that greed. If my people will humble themselves and pray, then God says, I'm going to show up in power. Ezekiel said, I looked for someone among them who would... Uh, build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. 
so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. God is saying, I don't want to bring judgment on this land. I don't want to. I want this land to be thrive. I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. I'm looking for someone to pray on behalf of the land so I can bless the land. But he says, I found no one. And I believe God has that similar call for revival. I want to send revival on that marriage. I want to send revival on that church. I want to do a transforming work in that community. I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. I'm looking for a group of people to get together and pray. But I think God is just like, I found no one. I mean, prayer changes the story. Prayer can, in partnership with God, because He is a relational God. He wants to work in and through us, and He does that through prayer. And when we pray, it's powerful. Uh, prayer changes things. Here's a prayer from the book of Acts. The apostles say in, in prayer, Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they p- prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and God spoke the word of God boldly. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. The early church is a praying church. They pray, and the room is literally shaken, and they go out, and they're living this normal Christian life of power and strength. But they were a praying people. They gathered daily in the temple to pray together. There's a similar story to that, Acts chapter 4, in uh, the Lewis Awakening in, uh, in around 1950. The people invited this guy named Duncan Campbell in to re, uh, lead some revival meetings. And uh, initially they weren't going so well until they really began to pray. And this one person with a humble heart prays and it changes everything. This is the, this is the story, the report. Uh, Duncan Campbell came to lead revival meetings in Arnold a town on the island of the Hebrides. The meetings were hard at the beginning, so increased prayer was required, and the praying men of the district rallied around. They gathered in a large home in Arnold for an extended period of prayer. It was the home of Donald and Bella. The meeting was making uh, uh, heavy weather and... The meeting was making heavy weather and prayers... Or whatever. (laughs) If you know me, I'm not the greatest reader sometimes. It was hard. It was a hard battle as, as one after another attempted to break through in prayer. Uh, sometime after midnight, Duncan Campbell asked John Smith, the blacksmith, to pray. He had not prayed all night. He rose and prayed for some time and then said, Lord, I do not know how Mr. Campbell or any of these other men stand with you, but if you know my own heart, I know that I am thirsty You have promised to pour out water on him that is thirsty. If you don't do it, how can I ever believe you again? Your honor is at stake. You are a covenant-keeping God. Fulfill your covenant engagement. It was a prayer from a man who was walking with God. At that moment, the house literally shook. Someone next to Mr. Campbell said to him, Mr. Campbell, an earthquake. The next day, they were to discover that no other house shook. It was a mighty movement, of, uh, a movement that Donald um, uh, McPhail members, uh, remembers where he was sitting on the crowded stair beside two unsaved neighbors, Christina. I don't know why they have numbers after their name. I don't have a number after my name, but <laughs> I'd be number seven, I guess. Christina and Donald, uh, they had been dozing. 
But in a moment, they were wide awake under deep conviction of sin. They began to cry out for mercy. In fact, Christina wept and cried aloud for help. Both were saved that very night. Campbell pronounced the benediction, and they left the house to discover that at that hour, the people were moving to the meeting hall. Some were carrying chairs, wondering if there would be enough room for them. Torchlights shone in the darkness as the folk, folks uh, moved towards the hall. God had stepped into a scene that seemed so hard and difficult. The spirit, the move of the spirit in Arnold had begun, and revival swept through the community. But again, it's birthed out of this prayer, uh, this faithful, fervent, earnest prayer. Again, Blackaby says time and time again, when people have investigated the, the, the antecedents, that's a weird word, antecedents. I guess it means uh, the foundations of a great move. You think I'd read through my sermon first. A <laughs> uh, move of God. They have invariably traced the divine work back to someone or some group who thoroughly believed God would keep his promise. It is not prayer that tells God what to do. It is praying that has come to understand God's will and then boldly ask God to do what is in the heart to accomplish, in his heart to accomplish. God delights to find people who truly believe he will do what he has promised. And this is the, the difference. And this is what they find with revival praying. It's praying that trust God will do what he promises to do. Revival praying that leads to revival isn't this kind of like, you know, God, maybe you'll bring revival, but maybe not, you know. Uh, so I could eat lunch soon. Uh, you know, this kind of this is kind of boring, non-earnest. It is praying that says, God, you have promised that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. God, would you fulfill you? It's bold, it's earnest, it's, it is faithful kind of praying. And this is what we need to do. If we want to pray for revival, again, there are promises all throughout the Scripture that if we seek Him, we will, these are, again, these are those if-but statements so you find throughout the Bible. If you seek Him, you will find Him. When you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. And this is what births revival, is when you understand that when you begin to pray, or you begin to worship, and the more you begin to open yourself up to God, that He is faithful and promises that His presence will step in. Look at this throughout the Scripture. If you seek the Lord your God, again, if but statements, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. Call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Malachi, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And just so you think that's only an Old Testament thing, you have the same thing in the New Testament. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. See, this is why your times of prayer or Bible reading or our times together as a church where we worship are never a waste of time. Because this is a promise. This is, this is not something that God just says, you know, sometimes this happens. This is a promise all throughout the Bible. That when you come to church and you just put away your pride and say, God, I'm just going to worship you despite this hard week I had. I'm just going to put my focus on you. I'm going to draw near to you. It is a promise that God will begin drawing near to you. But if you come to worship and you're not really seeking him and you're just like, oh, this is another song, you know, you're just like... It, you're not going to experience God. If you want to experience God powerfully in your prayer times, you come to God with your heart. 
and uh, you, you pour out your heart and you learn to pay attention by journaling or speaking your prayers or whatever it takes to make sure you're drawing near. And this is a promise. This is a promise that when you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. And revival praying is people who understand this promise, that when we as a church gather together to pray, that when we start drawing, when we take, start taking worship seriously and turning from our sins seriously and getting all those roadblocks out of the way and inviting the Holy Spirit in, that when we are eager to draw near, it's a promise that He will draw near to us. And so revival praying is walking out in these promises that when we seek Him, He shows up and can show up in powerful ways. And the cool thing about revival is prayer brings revival and revival brings prayer. I mean, you may not feel it greatly in the moment, but whenever you draw near to him, he draws near to you and you experience God a little bit more. That says, God, I want to worship you more. I want to pray more. So you start worshiping God a little bit more. You start praying a little bit more and you sense his presence even more in your life. And you're like, this, this is amazing. I want more. And all of a sudden you find that you want to read the Bible and pray and worship during the week. You find that your times of worship when you come to church are just, man, I feel the Holy Spirit because you're just in the cycle of drawing near, but it can work the opposite way. You begin to quench the Holy Spirit. You begin to feel more dry, and then you're not really interested in prayer or worship or much anymore, and then you kind of quench the Spirit more, and this cycle can go up or it can go down. And I hope for you that it's going up. Because it's the most beautiful way to live when you sense the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, when you're moving towards, spiraling up towards the normal Christian life rather than the abnormal Christian life. One more revival to talk about. We'll talk about a few more next week. Uh, the Asbury Revival. This one is in 1970. Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. There was a group of people who, again, started with prayer. They said for the next 30 days, each of these people, there's 33 people, were going to commit to praying half an hour every day. So they would gather for half an hour every single day and pray, and they were praying for revival upon their college. And the night before the revival struck, they were praying for an extended period of time and all the way to 2.30 in the morning because they felt that God was going to do something. And at 2.30 in the morning, they all felt that God was going to do something huge in the morning. They, did, they just knew it. They had this confidence. They heard, they heard the voice of God. And so the next morning... Chapel happens, they sing, <laughs> their worship time, and then uh, the president of the college was away at the time, but the dean was scheduled to speak. But before the dean, dean spoke, they just had someone come up and share a testimony. So one of the guys from the college shares this testimony, and it was that moment that God just poured out his Holy Spirit, because something just changed in that room. And all of a sudden, another person came up to share a testimony, and then another person, and people began to sing and to pray. There was no sermon ever, ever spoken in this revival, and this revival went on for 24 hours a day for a week. Uh, they, people couldn't leave. Uh, people didn't want to eat. <laughs> they didn't want to go home. News reporters would come in to do like a quick news report of what was going on. They'd come, to, and they couldn't leave. The news began to spread, and it began to pour over Asbury College. And uh, in fact, it was even in the news. Here's a, here's a quick news clip I believe I stuck in here. College campus at Wilmore, which touched me about as much as anything that's occurred in 34 years of news reporting. I know normally that when you're watching television, like everyone else, you have one eye perhaps on the paper, one eye on television, or one ear to someone else in the room, or perhaps you're fixing the evening meal. But for the next two and a half minutes, I wish you'd stop everything you're doing, and I think you too are going to be impressed. 
It started at 10 o'clock yesterday morning. Chapel was scheduled to end at 11 o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at 11 o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at 11 o'clock last night. It didn't end at 11 o'clock this morning. In fact, as Jim and I took the air, it was still going on. Let's have a look and a listen. Larry, this is quite an event here at Asbury. What does this mean to you? Oh, I can't, I can't express it. I tell you, the Lord has been planning this for so long. The prayers have been going up in girls and the guys' dorms and all over the world, I tell you, and it's finally happened. And he let us know the day before it happened. He said, during a prayer meeting in our dorm, and he said, it's going to happen tomorrow. And it did, and he just opened it up, and he let it fly, and that's all I can say. He told me that he wanted me to get up and say something. I said, the only way you're going to get me up is to kick me out of the seat, and he did. And I tell you, it's just blessed everybody. I'm not kidding you, the, the greatest outpouring of, of God's love and the Holy Spirit, and I can't express it. I tell you, I'm just amazed, and I'm glorifying his name. I'm praising his name. The uh, revival, again, was is just people coming up. Uh, often sharing stories of how they've been uh, turning from their sin. Because this was a prayer repentance-based revival as well. At worship, there were atheists at the campus that were refusing to go, and finally they would come in, and they'd be transformed just immediately by the presence of God, and they'd end up uh, sharing a testimony. It was incredible. And, and it began to spread from the college to other churches, other communities, and to other groups. Uh, the president of the college eventually came back during the revival, and uh, here's just a couple of stories that, uh, that he shared. Oh, here's a quote uh, again. Uh, this is from a local pastor. He said, uh, our town is a new town since the revival. Uh, tough kids have been converted, broken homes reunited, alcoholics rehabilitated in society, and our churches revitalized. This is God's work. It began to transform the community. In fact, there's a high school of 700 students 500 of those students gave their lives to Jesus uh, as a result of this revival. Uh, here's the president uh, just talking about a couple stories. I remember uh, later a Salvation Army officer who now is a commissioner in the Salvation Army told me about his daughter. They didn't have much money and they had a family agreement that Sue would not call home except in case of an emergency. So she called her dad and her mother. They got on their two phones. They were in New York City. And so Susan said, Dad, her dad said, Susan, what's the emergency? And she said, well, Dad, I've called to tell you some good news. Today, I found Jesus. And the Salvation Army officer at the other end, the father said, what do you mean? And she said, Dad, today I found Jesus. He said, honey, you've known Jesus for years. What do you mean you found Jesus? She said, no, Dad. I've never known Jesus before, but today I found Jesus. He said, honey, you've been in street meetings with me. You've run youth camps. You've witnessed up and down through this part of the country. You've been in the army all your life. What do you mean you've found Jesus? And she said, Dad, apparently... You don't understand. He said, what were you doing all these years? She said, Dad, I wasn't doing those things because I loved Christ. I was doing those things because I loved you. I was doing those things because I wanted to please you. But today, I found Jesus. Uh, Dr. Irwin, there are two students out here from Asbury College, and they say they want to talk with you. 
they say a revival has broken out at Asbury. And he said, oh. So he said, bring them in. So they came in, and here Don stood with his evangelist in the quartet. And uh, these, he looked at these two students. He said they weren't very impressive looking. But there they stood and looked at him, and he said, yes. And they said, we're from Asbury College. God has come to Asbury. And he told us to come tell you that he'd come to Asbury and that he wanted to come to your college. And that was all they said. And he said, oh, well, that's wonderful. What do you want to do? And some way or other, the idea was suggested that they share in the evening service. He'd never laid eyes on these two boys before. He was not about to turn his pulpit over to them. He didn't know what they would do. And so they said, oh, that's not our problem. Our problem was to do what he told us to do, and we've done it, and we're clean. He said, well, maybe you should tell about it. Could you do it in five minutes? Oh, they said, we don't have to do it. We've done what we were told to do. He said, let's take five minutes. So they sang a number, and these, he introduced the first student and said, we have two students here tonight from Asbury College. They tell us that God has come to the campus of Asbury College, and they want to tell us about it. So one of these boys, he said, they took their coats off and were there in their shirt sleeves, and he said, that was sort of offensive to me. You can remember that was 1970. But he said, nevertheless, he said, the first one stood up and simply said, in, tu in chapel on Tuesday, the Holy Spirit came to Asbury campus. He touched our hearts, our lives. We're different. Our campus is different. And we've just come to tell you what he's done for us. And he sat down. Don told me, he said, it may have taken him a minute and 40 seconds. The second guy stood up. And in less than, I think, maybe four minutes, both of them had finished what they were going to say. Don, the pastor, said to me, I sighed with relief and said, well, that's over with. Unless you're a preacher, you don't understand that. But if you're a preacher, you understand that. So he said, now we can get on with the service. So they introduced the quartet. The quartet sang one verse. And when they got ready to sing the before they could move into the second verse, the bass in the quartet, if I remember correctly, one of the quartet members stopped, raised his hand and stopped him and said, God has spoken to me. I need him to do for me what those guys say he's done for them. He walked down out of the pulpit, left his quartet, got down on his knees at the altar, and at 10 o'clock that night, there were more people in that church than there were at 8, and revival ran through the night. It was almost the less impressive the student was, the more effective an instrument he was. We're going to look at some more stories next week, but uh, yeah, just an encouragement uh, that we need to be in prayer for these kind of things, and that we need to make sure uh, that all of us are just removing that stuff that's keeping us from a deeper walk with Jesus. Uh, I put in your bulletin, uh, there are notes in there, just some helpful ways to pray for revival as you meet in your groups, as you um, 
uh, pray on your own as you're praying uh, for revival. Um, and so let me just, uh, as the worship team comes up, read this uh, verse one more time. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So Father, we ask uh, that you would just continue to uh, birth a new passion, God, a new work in us as a community. Uh, God, we want to return to the normal Christian life. God, we want to return to a place where uh, we are walking in power, we are walking in joy, where our relationships between uh, each other and with you, God, are just uh, uh, exploding in joy and forgiveness and grace and power. Uh, God, we want to be effective in your kingdom, and we want to see your kingdom grow. And God, we just pray that you would be glorified and honored. So Father, would you pour out your spirit among us? Would you do a new work in us? And Father, as we take this uh, last two songs here, as we take time to draw near to you, God, we believe your promise that as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. In Jesus' name.